This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by Fingertech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out Fingertech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. Fingertech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From deep inside a long, hard tube of waterproof sealant, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that brings you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our postseason interview with the bot whisperer, Pete Abramson. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Behind the Bots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Time for this week's Combat Robotics News. I have three news items for you today. First up. BattleBots builders from across the country took home first place trophies and $1,000 each this weekend at Norwalk Havoc in the 3-pound, 12-pound, and 30-pound full combat weight classes. Ribot Captain David Jin went undefeated in the beetleweight division with a new four-wheel drive drum spinner called Polywog, no doubt a nod to his frog-themed heavyweight on BattleBots. In the final match of the tournament, he faced fellow Ribot teammate and WPI alum Nick Sorensen, who was driving the two-wheel drum spinner Vespula. Elsewhere in the beetleweight division, we saw dominant performances from P1 Captain Brandon Zelensky and his robot Starchild, Perfect Phoenix Captain Tyler Wynn and his new eggbeater Dread Hades, Slapbox Minibot driver Annika Yankaskis and her scary undercutter Dark Princess, and incredible driving from her brother Hunter Yankaskis, who drove one of the Gemini Multibots this year on BattleBots and piloted Judge's Dream at Norwalk. In the 30-pound division, their dad, Dominic Yankaskis, won both first and second place with his bots Litterbox and Stop Hitting Yourself. In the 12-pound division, the most unlikely heroes emerged, SME Captain Joe Fabiani, P1 Captain Brandon Zelinski, Pain Train Captain Evan Arias, and 2020 Norwalk Havoc Beetleweight Champion Tommy Wong, who ran their four Beetleweights as a multibot against multiple 12-pounders, and they won. Their bot's name? Waterproof Sealant. Norwalk Havoc returns on Saturday, May 15th. Set a calendar reminder and join us on the live stream. If you'd like to watch Saturday's matches, search for Norwalk Havoc on YouTube. Kyle, uh, you and I, we got a front row seat to literally every single fight. We uh, <laughs> we had the best seat in the entire house because we were at the broadcasting booth. Uh, I would love to get your thoughts on this marathon day on Saturday. This was uh, my favorite Norwalk so far. Um, yeah. So many great fights, so many great moments, so many bizarre things like Brett getting turned off. What was that? Brett um, getting turned off, uh, Bert getting turned off, uh, Fluffy smoking, uh, all in the same match. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Well, Brett Brett got turned off in uh, in one of the the three pound matches between mm. what was it? Judge's decision and um, Judge's dream and oh gosh, there was another. It was like it was it was another kid. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, same age as, as Hunter. Yeah, exact same age as Hunter, and uh, so that was a really weird thing. That's never happened there before, and then it happened again later. That's right in that big rumble. Very strange. Yeah. Um, so yeah, very weird day lots of cool uh, occurrences we got to see kind of an update on some really great concepts from the last norwalk havoc uh, my favorite by far was star child they, they really brought out a very improved version of that bot we got to see it compete in both the three pound and 12 pound divisions with waterproof sealant aka caulk um we got to change that robot's name on the fly that was fun <laughs> Yeah, I um so so how that happened. Um so these these four builders banded together and they thought, okay, we're gonna we're gonna create a meme bot and we are going to troll uh the Norok Havoc announcers, uh Kyle and I, you know, by naming it Cock, all right? C-A-U-L-K. Yeah, and you know, which is a type of waterproof sealant. <laughs> it's a type of waterproof sealant. And so I texted Kyle the night before and I was like, these builders aren't gonna get us, all right. We're gonna walk in there and we're gonna call that bot waterproof sealant all the way through. And not, not only did we do that, but they embraced it. <laughs> and uh, and then like the first title card, you know, had the original name, but um, as, as we went deeper and deeper into this 12 hour marathon day, uh, <laughs> the title cards got updated to a uh, waterproof sealant. Everyone was talking about waterproof sealant on the, uh, the chat. So I was happy that we were able to uh, turn it around. No, nobody trolls us. All right, Kyle. No, I mean, you'll have to try a little bit harder than that. <laughs> They're going to accept that challenge. You know? Yeah, good. Bring it. Please don't. <laughs> Uh, this this was also my my favorite Norwalk. Um, you know the the event keeps getting better and better every single time that they run it. And um, the big thing that was new this past weekend was just the relentless pace. You know, yeah. they were using all three combat robot boxes that they have there, which by itself is incredible. Um, to full advantage, they would clean out one box, they'd run a fight in the other box, and three minutes later, there was, you know, two new robots ready to go. Like for the first two hours, it was literally back to back to back fighting. We had maybe 10 seconds between matches to to talk about what we had just seen. Um, it really came down to uh, Bert. Yeah. Bert, uh, so they have these house robots, um, and originally there was just Brett the Brick. And they would, between matches, move him back and forth between the two arenas, um, which was actually kind of time-consuming because they might need to clean the arena out a little bit. They might need to move some things around um, in order to get him out. But uh, in this particular case, you know, they just had a Brett in one arena and a Bert in the other arena, and they, they could just load one and have it completely ready to go. So as soon as one fight was done, the next fight could begin. It was gloriously fast-paced. I really enjoyed that. Did you have a favorite kind of storyline that emerged from Saturday, Kyle? Hmm. The entirety of the waterproof sealant saga was <laughs> fascinating to me. It yeah. was one of those things where like, you know, cause the 12 pound division is going on simultaneously with the three pound division, the 30 pound division. And we just like all of a sudden realized they're in the final. <laughs> it's yeah. like, yeah, 
they've been undefeated all day and now they're in the final. What? Hold on. Yeah. Wait, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I remember uh, as a spectator, because Chris and I were watching from home, um, when that, when Waterproof Sealant debuted, like hearing the pure shock, joy, and delight in Luke's voice, <laughs> because he was just as surprised as anybody, um, mm -hmm. was, it was just so hilarious. And, oh man, it was like watching the Avengers come out. Like, I'm not a big Marvel person, but, like, that's what it felt like to me. <laughs> and they were going, their first match was against this team that, like, flew out from Missouri. They were probably, like, all ready for, like, a serious, you know, like, match. And then here comes, um, you know, the robot Avengers to uh, to make a <laughs> memory out of it and then win. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I... <laughs> I so Kyle knew that it was going to be a multibot from like a beetle weight multibot. I did not know this. So I just look over and A, okay, I'm a huge, huge fan of Droopy. Droopy won the beetle weight division at the December finals last year. Huge fan of Droopy. It's so weird. It's so scary. It looks so sad. It just looks like the most depressed little robot. I want to own all of the Droopy merch when it comes out. Um, and I was kind of bummed that like Droopy wasn't there. Like I, I had walked the pits earlier, like that morning. I, and um, and I didn't see Tommy Wong or, or Droopy. And Droopy wasn't on the the roster, like the official roster they give us um, before the, the event. And to see Tommy like appear and put Droopy into the box, I'm like, what's going on? And then I see Shreddit Bro going in and I see Star Child going in and Smee going in. And I'm just, what is happening right now? Like. I, I, it was such a surprise and such a delight. Like I haven't been happier in like the last, like, <laughs> like all of 2021. That was like the happiest moment for me. Um, just cause it was so delightful. And then for them to win like four matches in a row was just like cherry on the top. And Kyle, you kept it a great secret because I had put in the chat. If uh, there was any word of droopy returning this year, cause you know, clearly I had no idea and you played it so smooth. You're like, oh, he didn't come till November last year. So I'm sure we'll see him at some point in the, in the season. <laughs> and then you yeah. appeared and I was like, oh, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I got a little tip off from Izzy that that was going to happen. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was good to have that knowledge. But uh, I, it was also really good to see the surprise all over Luke's face. <laughs> whenever that those bots came out and loaded in that was really awesome uh, yeah and they're they i mean we they're the interview with them after they won the the 12 pound division was hilarious because they were not expecting um, <laughs> to win in any way shape or form they were just like yeah we thought maybe we'd been in a match and you know just come out here and do some memeing and have it be a big thing that happens on the internet and make some jokes and now we have this dumpster that we've got to split four ways. So <laughs> it's like uh, when the independent movie wins best picture at the Oscars and they're yeah. like, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, I mean, for, for me, my favorite story from Saturday was uh, the Yankaskis family. Like, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I showed up pretty early in the morning. Um, the live stream started around 10 a.m. I was there at 8. I left my house at like 
536 to, to get there by, by eight. And people were just kind of rolling in their, their toolboxes and setting up. And the Ancaskis family was already there. All of their robots were lined up. They had like every, like the three kids, each one had their own beetle weight. And each one of those beetle weights, they had three copies of each beetle weight. So they had built nine beetle weights and they're all like laid out on the table. All of the tools are like perfectly um, in place, right? You look over at this other table, their dad has built, uh, like rebuilt a litter box, this kind of brand new kind of tombstone 30 pounder. And he had only bring, brought one, one kind of copy of that robot. But he had built this other multi-bot specifically for Norwalk Havoc. Each one of these robots weighed 19 pounds each. And if you know anything about local combat robotics, you can't run a 19 pounder anywhere else in the country. Uh, so he built these two specifically for Norwalk because he was going to exploit the multi-bot weight bonus for the 30 pound weight class. And not only did, did he build these two, but he had a second copy of those two. So he had built four 19 pound robots. And they were so dominant throughout the day. And in the end, he won first and second place with both of these robots. And um, it was just like amazing, especially because they, they don't live locally. Like they got in their car Friday morning at 2 a.m. to drive 800 miles from basically Chicago to Connecticut to compete. And it's just like that... There's something really special happening with the Ancaskis family. Um, and I, I'm like really, really stoked to see them at BattleBots next year. Um, their work ethic and clearly their robot building skill, I think is really gonna propel them um, in 2021. I wanna also add that my favorite storyline was Annika, Ancaskis and Dark Princess because that was a serious bot to contend with. That oh yeah was so terrifying and powerful and like and she drove it so well yeah i she was absolutely did. and she got super lucky in her first two fights like there there was definitely some points in those first two fights where she could have lost um but she like kind of had got some lucky breaks and then took full advantage of those lucky breaks and just tore her opponent apart both times. Um, she's She apparently was really nervous going into this um, and was really nervous for every fight, but it did not show in her driving. She was just terrifyingly good with that robot. And yeah. she didn't give up, you know? Like, I don't know. I thought I was just so, so, so impressed. The, the, the cool thing is, I mean, Annika, she's nine, and... Yeah. Um, You'd, you'd see her coming out from the pits and she'd set up this little folding stool so that she could stand on it. So she was tall enough to look inside of the box That's right. and going up against these total veterans of the sport and absolutely fearless, like did not give up at any point in any of her matches and is an amazing driver. Um, you know, we, we interviewed Hunter um later in the day and he was like yeah you know we we have our own little combat robot box at home and we drive like basically every day in the lead up to an event and it's just like so cool like that family 
builds together and it's their hobby, it's their passion. And like, they just put so much heart into it. I feel like there's so many like positive, uh, you know, life lessons you can learn from building and competing with combat robots. And you really see that in the way that they dr drove and, and competed, you know, this, this past weekend. Didn't Annika eventually like finally lose to Tyler Wynn? I think so. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, well, if you're going to go out, I mean, yeah, literally <laughs> the best driver in her age group uh, is not a bad way to do that. And one of the best drivers in the country period, the end. Yeah. Um, what I really liked about that team too. And uh, Lindsay, this might not have like shown up on the stream as much um, is how well branded they were. So like Hunter's mask matched his t-shirt, which masked, matched his bot. Um, and Annika was the same way. Her t-shirt and her mat and her mask actually coordinated with her robot. And uh, they brought several copies of each one of these robots. Um, it was just cool to see them look like a team, but each individual like driver kind of matched with their bot as well. Um, so it was like, you know, they were individually representing those teams as well. It was just really good, really cohesive, really nice. You don't see that as much at these local events as you do on like the televised events. And it's cool to see a team that like takes that seriously, takes, takes the branding of their, their bot and their team seriously. And then you get a very special dinner delivery. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yes, we did. Thank you once again, Mary Catherine Carr. Uh, we, okay. So we started at eight. We went literally eight hours on the stream and we couldn't even get up to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and I feel like OSHA needs to be notified. <laughs> um, and at one point, the, the, the chat, the YouTube live chat just, it really turned to uh, concerns about our well-being and safety, which was great. Um, so it was like 6 p.m. And uh, the chat just turns to like, please feed them. Please give them a break. Please allow them to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and um, Mary Catherine Carr sent us this, this um, full dinner from McDonald's. And there was another fan, and I'm sorry that I, I didn't catch their name, that also very kindly sent us a pizza. So um, that, was, that was much, much appreciated. All right. Uh, second, we're still in the news. <laughs> this week, BattleBots released another 2020 basement fight, this time between rookie bots War EZ and Axolotl. To watch that fight now, sign up to become a BattleBots supporter on Facebook. And finally, in what's either a cryptic reference to the 2021 season or a simple mistake, BattleBots co-creator Greg Munson sparked a brief stir when he posted a photo of the Pfeiffer Keyhole, a distinctive rock on Pfeiffer Beach in Central California, with a two-word caption on Instagram, Apple Sausage. But wait, there's more. On Sunday, we posted a speculation thread in jest on Facebook, and Greg commented with three even more cryptic clues in the comments section. Five sausage slices on a piece of toast shaped like the Millennium Falcon, two white horses with the caption, one is good, one is bad, and a photo of a spoonful of soup with a sliced green onion making the shape of a heart with the message, soup loves you. If you have any guesses about apple sausages, soups, horses, or toast, send them our way. And maybe, if you're in the area, somebody swing by and check on Greg. I think that the secret is that there's apple sausage inside all of us. 
<laughs> I guess with enough enough seasoning, I guess we're we we're we're all filled with apple sausage. I I, I would agree. <laughs> um, okay. Do we do we think that this is like a uh, a, a an elaborate joke, you know, an internet joke, or is this a, a simple mistake? I think that it, it is a cryptic message that next season will be filmed at the Pfeiffer Keyhole. <laughs> Good. They lost, yeah, they lost the building. They can't go back there. So why not have it at the Pfeiffer Keyhole? Yeah. And, uh, rather than taco carts or other types of catering, it will be exclusively apple sausage that they feed the builders. I think you're going to have to plan for a lot of ground clearance uh, in the sand and the water and, uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe some flo flotation devices for your for your battle bots. Also, if they're going to only fill, fill, feed the builders apple sausage, <laughs> they should probably spread out the, the pits even more than they currently <laughs> are in the COVID arrangement. <laughs> Do you have any theories? Uh, me, uh, my theory is that Greg uh, was driving along Highway 1 and stopped and took a photo of Pfeiffer Keyhole and uh, then <laughs> was uh, put his phone into his pocket. And uh, I, I don't know, like, you, you know, like sometimes when you wear jeans, like sometimes the jeans will just start opening up apps wildly and uh, you'll... <laughs> You'll take your phone out and you realize that it's been dictating for the last, you know, 23 minutes and you're right about to send a text message to uh, just some random acquaintance that just reads like a, uh, a manifesto. Like, am I the only one? <laughs> yes. I think, I think, you know, all things considered it's pretty wholesome, you know, uh, because I can imagine about 800 other configurations uh, to wind up on Instagram that would be considerably less family friendly or or wholesome. So I'm glad that uh, we just have a photo of a rock and uh, an apple sausage. I thought it was going to be next season films in the Big Apple in the meatpacking district. Oh my god, Ooh. Chris! Wow. Okay, my mind is blown right now. All I know is this is the biggest mystery since what hijinks was back uh, this time last year. And uh, now that I don't have that keeping me up at night anymore, this will replace it. I, unlike that, though, this is not going to have a reveal, Lindsay. We're, oh. we're, you're never going to find this one out. That's, what does soup loves you mean? That's nonsense. Apple sausage is a four-wheel drive vertical spinner. <laughs> <laughs> and with flame coming out of the spinner. Yeah. <laughs> Flames coming out of the back end, too. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of the Bronco episode of BattleBots Bounty Hunters. BattleBots Bounty Hunters launched in January on the new Discovery Plus digital streaming platform, and this past week made its way to the Discovery Cable Channel. Because the outcome of this episode has been known for months, let's instead talk about our general thoughts on the format and the top fights from the Bronco episode. Um, so first off, do you like BattleBots Bounty Hunters? Does it make sense? Is this more fun or less fun than the main show? Your thoughts on the format, Chris, Kyle, and Lindsay. I think that it provides new opportunities to tell stories. I think it provides new opportunities for us to get to know some of the builders to help them build up their own brand. 
Um, it provides new opportunities to get like technical insight into your favorite bots. I love it. It's it's more battle bots. Is it too close to the main show? Like if you if if you watched BattleBots Fight Night and then immediately went and watched Bounty Hunters, would you be confused that these are two separate shows? Yeah, no. I mean, that, well, I I I don't know. I would disagree in in just in the sense that it's the same arena, it's the same people, it's the same lighting, it's the same camera crew. You know, uh, I think that they should lean a little bit more on the the more candid. Um, you know, opportunities that they could have there at filming. And that would be my only recommendation. Candid as in like technical moments or candid as in like, here's Will Bales as a person. Well, both. Actually. I think, you know, if you have a chance to get right in there in, in the pits, I understand the COVID limitations for this year, but if, 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 I, you know, you have, um, uh, you know, Basically, after the uh, the finals have been kind of squared away, is when I'd imagine that some of these fights took place. Uh, the pressure's off. I understand that you have to clear out of the arena by a certain date and time, but you know, um, you know, explore explore the time that you have left to you know to to find out what makes the builders tick and and find out more importantly what makes their bot tick. So the other kind of element that's new about bounty hunters is all of the cash that's on the line. You know. Um, $25,000 are being given away every single episode. Every single bot that you see who competes on the show gets at least $1,000 just for entering. They get a little bit more if they win. And if you win the entire thing and you defeat the bounty, um, you win a couple thousand dollars. Um, and even for, for the bounty, even for Bronco, for participating, um, they they go home with some cash, which, which is a, a new element just because cash prizes just haven't really been a driving factor or part of the storyline for the for the main show at all um I, i've heard anecdotally that the winner of the giant nut only goes home with something like ten thousand dollars in cash um and that's why they don't really talk about it on the show um so kind of putting cash front and center i think is is an interesting element your thoughts on on the Bronco episode itself? Um, were there memorable fights? Kind of your your big big takeaways from from the episode? Oh, I have so many good takeaways. There was great fights in this episode. Um, oddly enough, uh, so many better fights than the actual bounty fight. I felt um, my favorite fight from this episode, Chomp had a really ridiculously fun match against Bale Spear. Not a combination of bots you would think would have a great match, but it was a really great match. Mm. Um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, and Rotator. I mean, Rotator really showing, you know, Victor Soto's strategic abilities as well as just the power of that bot and his just really dominant driving throughout this entire tournament. Um, so, yeah, those were my two big takeaways. But uh, what did you guys think, Lindsay and Chris? Didn't you guys just watch it? Yeah, we actually watched it before we started recording tonight. Um, <laughs> it was uh, it was interesting. I think Black Dragon can hold up to uh, intense temperatures for just a little bit longer. Um, <laughs> you would think that you know, with uh, uh, a chomp with the uh, the sheer size and complexity of the bot, that they probably could have thrown fire extinguish in there in there at some point. Um, uh, but it was, 
it was really interesting to kind of see the dynamic of these two bots. You have one one team that are just like, you know, uh, like literally like you know farmers with with a background in uh, you know working on you know farm mechanical equipment and and welding and just like you know uh, like this this really cool like backstory of like blue collar you know origins and then. You know, you have uh, you have Chomp, which is arguably the most complex battle bot ever made. Uh, that um, you know has the complexity of something that might be sent to Mars, and and it just goes to show, like that if anything goes wrong with complexity, it can go up in flames. Yeah, I think that's absolutely one hundred percent true. Um... Yeah, Farmageddon, right? I mean, Earl's a pretty decent engineer. That team knows what they're doing, but yeah, it's nothing compared to what Chom's doing. <laughs> like those, just the leg mechanism has more points of articulation and complication on it uh, than the entire body of Balespear. This is not necessarily about that match, but something that I noticed in this episode, and I haven't seen any of the other Bounty Hunter episodes, so I don't know if this is like a running theme, but there's like a lot of late hits <laughs> on bots. Um, like when you think that they're done and being counted out, uh, the other bot will go and smash them in again. We even saw Shredderator hit Sharko while it was being counted out, which I think is you know not not really something you see on a on a regular uh, season episode. I wonder if it's because this is like the last chance fight. Um, and they know that they're all bringing these bots home and like probably rebuilding them from scratch anyway. So like, why not just put on as much of a show as you can? But I don't know. It was it was interesting to see like you know bots that were clearly on the verge of being counted out or actively being counted out, and then just like continuing to get pummeled. Mm, yeah, there is a fair amount of that, and I do think that's what it is. So this is like this was filmed at the same time as the final. Um, or at the same time as the the tournament, I should say. So this is like the the buy or the play in matches, right? Like after the tournament's over, um, you know, a bunch of buddies get together and they're like, "Yeah, let's do a play in game while the final main tournament is going on." That's like what this really is. I'm sure there was a builder's agreement, a gentle person's agreement, if you will, that like, "Hey, full send. Let's give them all of the carnage." Like. You know, don't don't try to save my bot. I won't try to save yours. Let's just let's just cause as much damage as we can out there. And like, that's what the fans want. That's probably what the builders want. They're the ones that are there watching it. You know, like it's the end mm -hmm. of the day, the tournament. It's the end of the two weeks. Let's break as much stuff as we possibly can. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I was a little sad to see Sharko uh, continue to get <laughs> disassembled in that match while it was being counted out. But I, I mean, it all makes sense. Luke and I can't speak for that. We literally sit underneath uh, the decapitated head of Sharko for hours at a time um, <laughs> and talk about robots. So, yeah, yeah, uh, that's that's at Norwalk Havoc, by the way, not uh, just in our homes. That's sickos or something, you know. No, it is kind of weird though, because you'll like look up behind you on the shelf and you're like, "That's Sharko staring at me." Yeah, yeah, Why? Sharko's sliced off face like a serial killer. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this week's news and recap of Norwalk Havoc and BattleBots Bounty Hunters 
after the break, our interview with Bot Whisperer Pete Abramson. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Bot Whisperer Pete Abramson. During the 2020 season of BattleBots, Pete played a major role on air as the show's in-depth technical analyst, sharing his perspective on the bots and what to watch for in the match. Earlier in his career, he competed on the original run of BattleBots with the incredibly popular bot, Ronin. We're looking forward to getting in his thoughts on the 2020 season and what's next for the show. So welcome back to the show, Pete. Thank you guys for having me. It's great to be here. <laughs> Pete, your your interview was like our favorite interview of yes. 2019. Um, it was it was so good that we broke it into two episodes because like we didn't want people to miss it, you know, like um and really just to kind of experience two two weeks of Pete was was just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Boy, t- four full hours of me just nerding out. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> Um, so, you know, we, we had you back on the podcast, like in November. So right before the season premiere, so you couldn't really talk about much because we didn't see it yet, you know? So, um, our first question right out of the gate comes from a fan who listened to that episode, um, and is listening now, um, comes from Jake Anderson who asks, what's something that you wish you could have told us in November, but you couldn't? Um, well, one of the things you guys had asked me a question and I had to be incredibly sly about it. You guys said, Hey, Broncos competing, right? <laughs> and I had to sort of go, yes, they're competing while under my breath, say not in the tournament because yeah. we were having bounty hunters and we didn't discovery had yet to release the concept to everybody that we were doing bounty hunters and it was going to be on discovery plus. So that was something that I like wanted to just tell everyone but we couldn't like it was the thing that we had to hold back because we were waiting on discovery yeah you know bronco was on um was on discovery on thursday you know for people who had discovery plus they they saw that fight all the way back in january but now like you know now a million people have have seen the bronco fight i'd love to get your thoughts on the concept of of bounty hunters you know um you know, does does it make sense? Do you think that this is a lasting formula? Do you think we're going to have two shows um, on the air, you know, forevermore? So first caveat is I have yet to actually watch all the bounty hunters. I mean, yeah, I saw every fight live. I was there right. and commented, but I will need a refresher. If you guys say, so when Bronco drove in, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be a little clueless in that moment for a little bit. So, um, But I really liked what happened with Bounty Hunters. I think what it did was it gave bots that went through their three fight cards and didn't really have great showings a chance to try again in sort of a a smaller tournament format without trying to make it all about the one giant nut. Now they had this smaller piece to sort of climb up the ladder and show what they could do. And I think it was a great way that we got so many bots that would have been left out of the 30 after the 32 to be able to still do something. Yeah. That was really important to me was that everybody got more fights and really yeah. got to have a little more fun. Yeah, I think one of the cool things, especially if you're a rookie and it's your first season of BattleBots, is 
your first fight will probably be a disaster. Your second fight will be better. Your third fight, like you might be hitting your stride at your third fight and then it's over, you know? Yeah. Um, but being able to get a fourth fight, maybe a fifth fight, get a little bit of cash for bounty hunters, you know, like we're seeing rookies that that were in their best form in, in bounty hunters, which is really cool. Like who do you think really did well as a rookie? Which which robots were you thinking that you saw that you really liked? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, like Rusty. Well, yeah. Rusty, the heart of BattleBots. Yes, um, he, like, I think he was already showing great anyways. I mean, the, his survivability in the regular fight card round was pretty impressive. Yeah. And to be able to, like, we all just wanted more Rusty. Like, everybody yeah. did. Or, or actually, we wanted more Dave Eaton. Like, Dave should just have a camera on him at all times. Because <laughs> he he's just a comedy show, and he was the best. Yeah. We, we also saw an incredible rookie season from Jackpot. Yes. Whoa. Jackpot uh, was amazing. But something that's important to pay attention to, I mean, Jackpot had a really good opening season but could they have made it all the way to the end of 32 mm. i don't know i mean mm. that requires such sort of a a deep bench to reach to of parts and durability of bot and repairability of bot and maybe even multiple bots like anybody who wins you realize they had to fight eight times to get there yeah like that that is rough like eight yeah. times and and one year in the 32, it, you know, let's say the fight card for, format, you'll usually have a pretty seasoned tough bot you have to fight. And then possibly you have two lower duty bots that you, you know, may not be as far up the, the chain or as well seasoned yet. So you might be able to get away by sort of winning in those two fights and losing to whoever your main vet is that you're fighting. But once you're in the 32, that's real fighting, right? I mean, that's that's a hardcore shit at that point in time, and right. you really got to be able to survive eight fights in total. After, I mean, well, five in that round, but yeah, that's a tough, tough position. And I don't know if Jackpot could have pulled it all the way through the thirty-two. It's um, you know, the I feel like the show did a pretty good job of of telling the Jackpot story, but it's it's remarkable the more you you learn about it, you know five weeks to build yes. one and three quarter jackpots spent less than $8,000 total out the door, including almost $200 on glitter, which I just find <laughs> so uh, delightful. <laughs> and to come into the top 32 as the number 11 seed is the number, you know, like the, the top rookie is, is pretty, pretty incredible. Yes. Um, you know, winning, winning all, <laughs> all three of their, uh, their kind of qualifying fights is just really, really something special. Um, and now, you know, you're like, oh, okay, Jeff Waters goes back to, to Las Vegas and he now has multiple months to build. <laughs> and, yes. you know, maybe a bigger budget this time. Like, And the lessons learned from yeah. being in the box. Like yeah. that that's the piece of information that is the most important to the whole thing is what they learned while they were fighting. Yeah. Nothing, nothing compares to that moment. Like it doesn't yeah. matter how much money you throw at a thing. That's what matters. 
We we have this kind of interesting philosophical conversation with with Jeff, and it's stuck with me for months now. Um, where he said, you know, I, I fight at every single beat away event that I can. I fly all over the country to fight literally everywhere that I can because I'm learning so much. And I think that the meta is is changing toward reach. You know, like I don't need to have armor if you can never hit my bot because my my weapon is so big. You know, like yes. I want to have double the reach. You know, and like you you take a look at at uh, bite force or or something like that. I mean, like smaller weapon. You know, like like really kind of in your face. They're expecting you know their defensive package is going to be really important. Well, jackpot's like all offense. You know, barely has right. any blitz you know like doesn't really even care about the ground game like it's it's just about reach with with jackpot which is yes interesting it's an interesting theory of the meta i mean it's similar to like uh huge right same yeah. thing like we're we're just putting our our motors and everything up and out of the way where you can't touch them and we're going to reach out to you yeah and, and hit you with our long arm right Right. And Tombstone also to that point, you know, Tombstone's got this giant arm out front. And so that's why he doesn't need to really protect everything else back because yeah. he's just driving that weapon at you all the time. I, um, I'm so glad that we're, we're talking now because now we've seen everything. We've seen every fight, um, you know, like everything's out on the table. I'd love to get your thoughts on what was different about the 2020 season, you know, like beyond COVID and the health protocols and the opera boxes and all of that. But like, when it comes to the bots and the, the types of builders that you saw, kind of the strategies that you saw, you know, when you take a look at 2018 or 2019 versus the 2020 bots that showed up, you know, were there themes that that came out that you think are, are interesting? I, the thing that really changed, I think for most builders was the fact that we were not doing this in May, that mm. we did it in October gave them all of that extra time, whether they actually were nearly done for May, that's always questionable with certain people will. Um, <laughs> sorry. I, you know, he's my babe. I, I've got to give him a hard time whenever possible. I've got to. <laughs> uh, but uh, the fact that they had all this time, take somebody like Aaron Hill with tantrum. Yeah. The amount of hours that they spent driving a finished robot around was what allowed him to get to where he was? I mean, he was able to win because of so much practice he put in on Tantrum. Mm. Even without Reach. You know, we were talking about how much Reach helped with Jackpot. Tantrum does not have the Reach. Tantrum really needs somebody to kind of nearly be sitting on them to deliver yeah. the weapon. But they spent so much time practicing driving that that's what they were able to do. Like, a great example of this is in uh, Tantrum versus Sawblaze. So both robots require their opponent to be in a very set spot to be able to work their weapon efficiently. Tantrum needs them to sort of have their opponent on top of them so that they can punch from the underside. Sawblaze, Sawblaze needs the other bot in the forks so that they can bring the hammer around and swing down the saw on top of the other bot. Hmm. Tantrum never allowed Sawblaze to have that opening. Tantrum out drove underneath Sawblaze to never be in a place that Sawblaze could actually attack. Mm. And that was that was really due to practice and driving and really thinking about where do I how do I need to make my bot perform in the ground game for this to be able to win against something like Sawblaze. 
Were you so, able to see that one coming or were you as surprised as the rest of us? Floored. Completely. Rug was pulled out from under me. Never knew. Like yeah. I, I was expecting some of the earlier tantrums that I've seen, you know, through previous years. And this just sort of showed a whole different side of what Aaron was capable of. And yeah. really just shined a light on the what it takes and to do that much driving and how important it is to practice that much. Like yeah. it's it becomes so clear in somebody like let's say Matt Vasquez. He is so good at putting his robot where the opponent doesn't want him. Because he just practices. He drives that bot into the ground. And that's what it needs. That's it shows. Yeah, there's there's all these little little intangible things, you know, where where you say, you know, you elevated a middle of the pack robot to like the, the final four, or the final eight because of driving or yes. because of reliability. You know, you look at like Black Dragon, like oh yeah, I can I can be on fire for two minutes, or, <laughs> you know, like I I allocated some weight toward reliability because I care about that, which is like really interesting, you know, like. I, I think like a, a younger builder or a less experienced builder might just say like, oh, why, why do I need to put channels into my, my chassis? Like, let me just make the weapon bigger, you know, like, and I can win that way. And it's like, not really. You not know? always. No. Yeah. You know, you, you really gotta, gotta drive, drive around a lot. You know, like we, we saw, we saw, um, you know, videos that Aaron posted in the preseason where he was navigating these little obstacle courses in his backyard and practicing with duck, you know, like, um, up, up with Hal and stuff. And, um, I just, I didn't expect to see that kind of driving, just like a total glow up on the driving. I, I didn't either. And it was so wonderful to witness it happen. Like it was, yeah. you know, I'm supposed to be the guy in the know and it was great not to be, to yeah. be as surprised as everybody else was, was really a joy for me to be able to sit there and watch that happen. It's, it's probably the, the, the most boring kind of aspect of kind of things that changed in 2020, but like the floor and kind of the ground <laughs> game and these like weird long forks that we started seeing, you know, yes. like, like those would have just been impossible. Stay away from me. I've got my <laughs> forks out. I'm going to yes. keep you about bay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, is, is it, is this like kind of a weird one-off like will 2021's floor, like not allow for these ground scraping forks just because it's been damaged now. Um, you know, that's, that is the risk that the builders have to take is they make the choice. They all know. How, I mean, we are not going to replace the floor every season. That yeah. was an incredibly expensive floor. And to even replace pieces during the mat, during the season, if something really bad happened, the amount of work it takes to be able to swap a whole panel is insane. Like yeah. it is so embedded and jigsawed together. Um, and so everybody has to start realize and understand that this seems we could level everything out at the beginning of the season, right before we start shooting. But once everybody starts beating on it, it is what it is. Mm. And if you are choosing not to adapt to that, and you're going to go with too many wedgelets that actually hung up, get you stuck on things, that's your own fault. Because, mm. you know, like, it's funny, I've been sort of rehashing something that I used to say a long time ago, which was robot Darwinism. And adapt or be scrapped. That's sort of the new section to that thing. 
you have to be able to adjust your bot for what uh, conditions of the floor. Mm. I mean, I, that's why I always think of Darwin, right? I mean, every every niche that a little bird fits in is because wow, I could my beak evolves to work for that specific flower that nobody else can get to, and that's sort of what has to happen with robots, right? Is if the floor gets funky, you need to be able to deal with that in a way that keeps you from hanging up on it. And somebody like, well, not to use Matt again, but yes, let's use Matt again and use Whiplash. The fact that their shovel of the front end and the weapon up there can be lifted, which means he can raise it slightly above and never worry about it. And he mm. only has to put it down when he has to get right next to the other robot to try to get the scoop. Whereas Hydra has those fingerlings right up front that are just scraping the ground and get hung up on seam edges a bunch. You'll see it happen. Little pops and little things that sort of stop them from having really good momentum across the box. And that's that's the game you have to play. Is like, do I want the perfect wedge that scrapes paint off the floor? Well, that might mean that I might not make it across the floor. Or do I go with ground clearance, which means some other wedge can get under me. But let's say like also... Uh, uh, Witch Doctor or Hypershock take care of this quite well by sort of having ground clearance and having big four big wheels, which means they're never really high centerable. They can kind of drive off of these things like, you know, off-road buggies. So it's that sort of how do you, you have to be willing to adapt to what this floor is going to be in the going into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was, I was really struck by these, these interesting forks on Endgame. I don't think that they'll probably be able to run them again. And then I, I kind of felt a little bad for Witch Doctor, you know, that they, that they weren't able to adapt to this new flat floor, you know, like as, as well as, as some of their, their competitors. Um, Cause they, they don't typically play the ground game like the same no. way. Um and they, they did great in 2019 when there seams all over the place. But like here where we have this totally flat floor and we are actually seeing paint getting shaved up. Like, yes. Yeah, that's tough. That's, that's really tough. Um, but, you know, think of, think of how long Witch Doctor went against Hydra, right? Yeah. The, the biggest sort of the ultimate wedge, which would be, let's just call Hydra the biggest wedge that could then throw you. Um, they were they kind of held their own. I mean, yeah, they took, they obviously lost that fight and took a pretty big beating, but it was pretty amazing to watch them keep getting back up and going right back into it. Um, but on that same thing, a very similar shaped bot, Whiplash, beat Hydra. Mm, so. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so like also kind of, kind of talking about topics that are, very popular among the fans. I'd love to, to get your thoughts on uh, some of the early controversial judges' decisions in the oh, end. <laughs> oh my God, the controversies. <laughs> yes. uh, we have a, a two-part question from Heather Stringfellow who asks, were there any judges' decisions this season that looked totally different from your vantage point? Yes. Really? <laughs> Many. <laughs> um, actually, one of the most famous ones and it's it was an amusing sort of whole thing that had happened let's go to rotator beta right yeah i the camera goes to me and i give my thoughts which was rotator won that one because they a i felt caused more damage because the head got knocked off as well as 
they were put more sort of scrapes all over the armor, even though it's not really easy to see, they actually did probably in my mind more damage. Mm. And where people kind of get lost in that one and talk about how Beta had all the control, one of the things you got to make remember is to hurt Beta in this situation, you need to get to the hammer pivot. Well, mm. that's where Rotator was trying to be the whole time. If he's up there, he wants to be, because his weapon's an undercutter. Yes, he wants to be touching as much of that stuff as possible up there on top of on top of Beta. So I totally saw that going Rotator's way. And mm. then the judge's call comes out, and Will comes out of one of the opera boxes and runs down the stage to me and goes, what are you doing? How could you vote this way? What do you, how could you even allow this to happen? I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's raid that in, Will. I voted the way you did. So yeah. you got to talk to those three over there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, that, that one was a head scratcher for us. And like, it, it caused kind of like a real, like a week long conversation about is the judging criteria in 2020, the new judging criteria, you know, is it is it still working? Does it need to be tweaked again? You know, there's like, going to be tweaks. Yeah, that I will tell you. Um, we have we were like Greg, you know, because Greg sits right next to me on the stage while we're right there next to the box, and immediately we're always in like, hey, what do you, we should probably think about? How do we want to change this? Do we want it to be, you know, if you don't use your weapon and you have one but you never use it, you can never have all the damage points. Or like, you know, we were trying. We're constantly just spitballing different ideas of what is the best way to sort of not have this happen. And we just need the judges to sort of be kind of more aware of what of what we think there should be going on and how they should be rating damage versus aggression versus control and what is truly seen as damage versus not damage kind of thing mm -hmm. um or the complete lack of using an active weapon because the the active weapon is to keep people from just building a law machine <laughs> like right. it's funny that we're making rules against the robot that got the greg and trey started um because <laughs> we don't want robots is that sort of what we felt was the death of comedy central was we yeah. turned into a bunch of giant pizza slices driving around um, super fast, but it wasn't the most exciting fights anymore. And so having an active weapon negated boring fights in our thoughts. But when somebody chooses not to use their active weapon and only wedges, we were like, okay, this, it, it doesn't make it okay to drive in with a fully active weapon and just never use it because you just want to use your wedge the whole time. That like, I remember Donald, a couple of years back, had a beautiful curved plow he made for some, I don't know if it was for Tombstone or if it was for a horizontal that was he was going to fight. Mm. And he drove out and spent half of the fight banging that against their weapon and then spun around and attacked with the regular weapon. Mm. Um, so that he was aware of, I need to use my active weapon at some point very soon whereas like beta i know because that weapon the hammer is kind of delicate to side loading 
that they just couldn't swing it at a robot like Rotator because they would just get knocked off like it did. So that was, you know, it's it's a tough thing because you see that that happens even with somebody like Adam Wrigley with uh, Shatter. Like he has to really choose when to fire that that hammer to not get it knocked off by a giant spinning weapon. He has to mm-hmm. slow somebody else's weapon down before he makes his attack with the hammer. Right. Or else he's putting his hammer at risk, which we saw the hammerhead get knocked off multiple times. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to get your kind of definitive opinion on bike racks inside of the uh, the battle box. You know, um, like I, 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 I don't know if I'm just a BattleBots hipster, but like I felt like I, I could appreciate, you know, the the concept behind the back of bike rack. Like um, I, I can appreciate the thinking and the kind of the innovative problem solving. Um, but I would imagine if I was instead running a very expensive TV show, I would might, uh, I think differently, you know, um, your, so, your, your thoughts, you know, I, I mean, I saw the bike rack hours prior to it all. And I had long conversations with Jake about it. Um, they showed it to me. We talked about it and I was like, okay, there is nowhere in our rule set that says you can't do this. But on a what social level, this won't look good. Mm. I said, this will come across looking pretty stupid because you are just going to look like you're only there for the win. And that's mm. it. And I understand that because we are in a tournament and you are trying to win. But do you want to do it this way? I said, this is your choice. I mean, you, you, you may get a ton of backlash from this. Like this may not look good for you on the internet. I'm just letting you know. I mean, I, I, this is like, you know, it's almost like NetGate in a way, right? It's the, the net was not specifically called out in the rules to not be able to do. And so when it happened, it was an amazing thing. Um, and the bike rack is kind of the same way there was sort of what was broken was more of the spirit of competition was what was broken by it. Not any rule. And he, he was in his full rights to do that. But now what we want to do with judges criteria, if you go out with a thing like that, you're never firing. He never fired his weapon. So there is no, you know, you can't get all the points because you didn't fire the weapon. That's sort of our concepts, whether that Mm -hmm. gets enacted. I don't know. We still, there's, there are many revisions to go through. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, brings us to the second part of Heather's question. Uh, what are some inevitable changes to the rules that you can already see coming other than bike racks and, you know, <laughs> like that, maybe judging? But like, are, are there are there other inevitable changes, you think, uh, after 2020? Um, no. I mean, we really don't want to go back to 40 pages of rules again of like how to design your bot. Like we really liked having a lesser set and having people be more open to do things. But then when it, if it becomes unsportsmanlike, that's usually when I think everybody sort of steps in and goes, okay, we need to sort of come up with an idea for this. Like, how do we solve this? I mean, maybe, you know, if you come out with a bike rack, you can't, you have to back away for X number of feet, or you can only corral for 10 seconds. You don't get 30 as a pin or a a Mm. grapple kind of thing. Because we also don't want to eliminate, you know, 
Like we, we want overhauls to be able to show up and grab mm-hmm. another robot and carry them around the arena and throw them on a saw or stick them out of the arena if they can. Like we want a control bot to do what it can do and don't want to hinder that. But we also don't want to see a boring fight, which sort of like the, the corralling, you know, the, the bigger brother holding the little brother with his hand going, you can't hit me. You can't hit me. Go ahead, swing, but you can't touch me. Well, yeah. I was kind of hoping if you remember Chomp versus Huge, um, Chomp's hammer is made out of AR. That whole thing was an AR 500 piece. Mm. And if you know what AR is, AR, to bend it, the bending that they did to get the shape of the hammer on Chomp required a custom built bending rig that was concrete anchored to the floor in the shop and they used the forklift to apply pressure onto the arm to bend those arms yeah after huge it was a pretzel it was just a spiraled thing now i was looking at that bike rack going if huge catches a corner this is just mild steel. This thing is going to just fold. So like, yeah. you know, maybe that will be the right thing for them to have happen is they lose this bike rack. But they had obviously built it in just the right amount of geometry that just would never allow Huge to catch an edge. I mean, it mm-hmm. was, I, you have to give them props for it. I mean, it's like Chuck coming up with the de-icer way back in the day where he held off um, Ice Wave by, yeah. uh, with Ghost Raptor. Uh, you know, these are incredibly innovative things and I love that they get used. And I mean, I love to see a thing like this, but it also was heartbreaking because that fight turned very boring. So, yeah. 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 I um, don't want to stifle creativity, but I also want exciting fights. So right. it's a, it's a tough place to be. Right. It's got a question from Jesse Mullen who wants to know, what was your favorite insight that ended up on the cutting room floor? Hmm. I barely even remember anything uh, that I said. So <laughs> when I'm watching the show, <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, wow. I actually sounded intelligent there. I can't believe that <laughs> because I don't remember any of my insights. I am live without a safety net, except for the cutting room floor, like you just said. Um, yeah. And I don't even recall half the stuff I talked about. Yeah. I think somewhere. Um, and I, Think oh actually you know what there was a piece that did end up in the cutting room floor is I talked about Hydra because I had spent a lot of time with Jake and with Dick Stuplick about why is Hydra such a good flipper and we really talked about how the physics worked and how the valving system worked and we discussed about constant force contact and I used the analogy of that. Think of like a baseball bat when you swing and you make contact with the ball as you continue through the swing with the bat. If the ball is still in contact with that bat for the longest period of time, the furthest that ball is going to travel because you've been imparting more energy within it. And that's sort of how Hydra works is as long as it's maintaining contact through its full swing, it's imparting the most energy you possibly can. And I did that for a Hydra bit and then. I noticed that one of the things that was new was they added these great little technical moments, which I love. I was super happy to see them. Like the first one was uppercut. And I think the writers obviously had heard me say what I said 
because mm. they use the exact analogy of a ball being in contact with a bat yeah. for uppercut. And uh, so that was, it kind of made it to the cutting room floor, but it got used in a different way. Uh, mm. And I thought it worked out. So Aaron Catling, the showrunner, and I, like, he feels there's many more places that I can get used a little deeper and a little better and be able to use my insight more. This was, you know, we had four weeks, we had two weeks to shoot, and they were in the editing room within days after the full season. So, it like, we were kind of just trying to play catch up, and I was learning my role basically on camera yeah. like right there in front of you all like what am i going to say how am i going to say this and uh he feels that next season uh he wants to do better with me like he wants more of me in ways that i don't know i love him too i'll hug him and i'll cuddle him too but you know <laughs> yeah um I, I i i know that you know as super fans we we really love the the technical kind of breakdown of the robots um and especially for robots where there's something new it's a robot that we haven't seen before it's a robot that is surprising in some way like these little insights um about how they're stretching the the meta i, I think is just really so interesting because you know we're, we're watching robot history live basically you know we're watching yes. robot evolution live which is really cool and like every time we see some new kind of variant on the bird's beak coming out, like we're really interested in that kind of stuff. Um, well, you know. I, I hope that I'm like, there is so many times I start a line of dialogue and it starts out great. And then by the time we're getting near where they would cut, I just have marbles dribbling out of my mouth. Like <laughs> it is just word salad at that point. Like I've lost my thought and I've completely, so there's plenty of crap that's probably on the cutting room floor where I just sounded like a <laughs> idiot, um, which I'm sure I was being, or I was just simplifying it too much. Right. Instead of being technical about it. Mm, so, yeah. Um, I, I want to I wanna go back and ask you a little bit more about Rusty, because I'm curious. Um, so, okay, first off, we saw in the final episode that Rusty won the kind of Rookie of the Year. Um, right. Okay, that, that award looked like it was built in the Lincoln Electric Tent. Like, was that an award that... It that was. was... <laughs> okay, good. Okay, good. So that yeah. award, I mean, Dave so sort of embodied all the goodness of what we want BattleBots to be, right? Like, mm. I mean, just the way he showed up as the one sol solo guy with this robot and Rusty just survived beatings. And like, it had this character that it was, everybody in that building was a fan of Rusty by fight two. Like they were just insanely overwhelmed by how great and the big love for Rusty. And, uh, there was a discussion between Greg, uh, Trey, and myself about like we, we need to do something for Rusty, and like we sent out runners all over Long Beach to like machine or uh, ship scrapyards trying to find big giant nuts and bolts from these places where we because and on a Sunday no surplus stores open of course like we're trying to find something and somebody finally found something in the art department, they were able to go and find something and they welded together this thing. And it was, I, I don't know if we're going to have a rookie of the year every year. This mm. was much more of a way of saying thank you to Dave for yeah. what he did. 
for just sort of driving out and putting himself out there the way he did was yeah. we just wanted to honor that and say thank you. Yeah, I, I wanted to go a little bit deeper and like kind of understand that. So like when, when you talk about the spirit of BattleBots and kind of like what Dave Eaton represents, you know, like we we had Dave on the show. Um, we've had him, we've had him on twice and we love his story, you know, like this can do attitude of like, it's a like a four year journey to build Rusty. And originally, you know, it was in pristine condition and it like sat over time and became Rusty and like, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know. It's it's like, you know, like he he applied and was accepted, but couldn't make it out the first time and was so just crestfallen and like kind of gave up and then came back to it. And it was just like, it, like, it's like the human triumph of the spirit, you know, yes. and like, um, and, and, and brought a robot that was so durable, like, you know, like that fight with Sawblaze that, that went Does, all the way. You guys probably know the numbers better than I do. Did he ever get KO'd or did he survive for judge's decisions for every one of his fights? <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah. I mean that right there for a, a new bot, that is a testament to a good bot. Like the fact you can survive for three minutes, doesn't matter who it's fighting. Like, your first fight, even if it's you're fighting another bot that has never fought before, those that to survive three minutes and still run at the end is pretty impressive. Yeah, like that's that right there is a triumph. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go to kind of like the absolute opposite end of the spectrum and ask you about Chomp. You know, like there could probably not be a, a more different robot than right. Chomp and Rusty. You know, like. I, I've, I've heard speculation that Chomp is like basically the uh, cost of a high-end luxury car and, uh, yes. you know, incredibly talented engineers, like super brilliant people building it. Um, and, you know, we saw our first 500 pound Walker bot. Um, and I, I, I know that you love walkers so much, you know, do you imagine the future where they're all 500 pound walkers that look kind of like Chomp, you know, or is it, is it even beyond Chomp, like in the it's, future? I mean, I would love it to go beyond Chomp. Like, yeah. If you remember um, Donald's Gear Crow, which is sort of this weird two-legged crazy thing that he made. Yeah. Um, I I would love to see more weird forms of walking bots, whether they have six legs, whether they have two, three, I don't, whatever. You know, make, I would love to see the evolution into a much greater expanse of shapes of walking bots because mm. i just think you know i i it, it's what everybody wants like they look at atlas and all the the stuff that came out of boston dynamics and people are like can we put weapons in those guys robots hands because let's see them fight each other you know yeah uh i would i would love to see more advancements and i think we will from the chomp team i mean that's yeah. they even though they worked pretty intensely in the in that however many months it was between when we pushed the show to when we did it in October. I mean, they were building two complete bots yeah. that are totally different from each other yeah. and have to interact. Yeah. So that was, you know, it makes sense that their first showing with that bot wasn't as good as they hoped. Mm. And I think they could easily do better coming next season. Yeah. It'll, there's so much they learned about what they need to do with their bot. Now, yeah, 
Um, so uh, you you sit on the mythical and famed selection committee for the 2021 season. You've sat on the selection committee for a very long time. But um, I'm curious. Here's so say. All here's <laughs> say. Uh, I, I heard that 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 BattleBots got nearly 500 applications last year, and I can't imagine winnowing that down to 80 80 bots. You know, um, I'm assuming it, it's even, even larger fields this year. Um, we're getting pummeled. Yes. Yeah. We're getting pummeled. So, what does that selection process look like um, in 2021? Given that there were only four international teams and a lot of people already built, you know, like is the expectation that like it's going to be mostly international in 2021, you know, like uh, is there, are there room for new rookies stuff that people didn't apply with in 2020, you know, like what is that challenge, I guess. So first of all, let's just start with, we have not gotten picked back up again by discovery as of yet. They're in the middle of contract negotiations and trying to solve all that, but, that's uh so we hope that there's a season yeah but i i just want to let everybody know that it's just like everything else it, nothing is guaranteed even for battle bots with having a show so um and we are hoping that maybe we'll be able to have like more content asked for by discovery which means we can have more bots the more hours we do, you know, the more hours of footage that we shoot, the more fights we have, the more bots we can have. Um, we also are have lost the location in Long Beach. That mm. building is no longer available to us. So we now have to find a location. Um, where will that be? Will it be Vegas? Will it be Long Beach someplace in Long Beach? Will it be somewhere here in LA? Will it be somewhere? I don't know. You know, Norwalk, Connecticut. There you go. Norwalk, Connecticut. Um, they're out beating the bush to try to get a good building. Uh, But we have the application part of the website has gotten pummeled. We have quite a few. Now, usually we, you know, there's obviously we need continuity. We do need bots that we've seen before come back because why would you have a season of football and then get rid of every team and get a whole new fresh set of teams, right? Yeah. No, that's not going to work. Um, so we have to have fill quite a few slots with those existing teams. Mm. We also really want the international teams back. Having international robots is a huge boon for the business of BattleBots because international sales of the show matter like i mean it helps fund us to be able to have a show is because we sell the show across seas and other countries want to see representation rightly so right Mm. by other countries not just it all be america and so that's a huge thing we obviously need want as many internationals as possible now covid is a giant mystery in the future we don't know where it'll be we're hoping everybody's getting vaccinated when they can um but it's still an unknown uh so will that keep certain teams away i don't know it might uh then we start to so now i've gone from we there are vets that we want there's a certain chunk of vets that we definitely need to to bring back we want a certain chunk of international bots whether they were already pre-vets or not, or known builders, that's sort of what we're looking for. And then there was quite a few rookies from this year that were 
exciting and interesting. It's like, well, we definitely need them back because they were, they, you know, a rusty, would you say no to rusty? No, never, never, <laughs> never. Yeah. Right. Um, so that starts to whittle us down to having only a few slots left. Mm. And that's when it starts to get rough is we're looking at, you know, 20 slots that we now have to fill and we've got 400 bots that have been posted to us. Yeah. And the selection process usually goes, sometimes it goes pretty quick in the beginning because you start to go, okay, there is no CAD visible. They don't have like, you know, this person just put in an application as a placeholder and gave me a crayon drawing mm. and that's it. So like, I, I'm sorry, I can't go, I can't accept you on this kind of thing. I need to know that you are going to bring a bot that is going to survive. And if you want to win is going to survive eight fights mm. and you have the ability and the, the spare parts or the spare bots to be able to do so um, that you have to be thinking in a long game that you aren't just there for one fight. And then, cause that doesn't help us as a show. Cause then we lost out on somebody else who mm. could have been there and showing that they had something to do. Right. Um, I pay attention to who the builders are and pay attention to like what I've know is going on in the community of somebody that maybe has been doing a ton of beetleweight fights but has never stepped up to the big boys and is now going to step up to a heavyweight and this is somebody to watch and pay attention to you know so the those are certain caveats that i look for is like okay this person has a pedigree this mm -hmm. is somebody we should watch for they've built all these bots and this bot survived a lot of fights in the beetleweight competitions okay that's good good data points or let's say they're from England and they fought in robot wars multiple times, those kind of things. Mm -hmm. You know, we obviously want a few British flippers to prove the American versus British flipper war, you know? Uh, so it is a tough thing. And also visually, how good is the bot? How well mm -hmm. does it look? Mm -hmm. How good is your team? Like you still have to almost, because the Teams and the bots are actors on this show, right? Mm. If you think about it like a movie or a television show that we're casting, they need to be dynamic. They need to have something that sets them apart from everyone else to make it so that we don't just have, you know, a whole room of extras. We have a whole room of stars. Right. So, so like maybe a podcaster super team coming together to build mm. a Yes. For yeah. one million dollars. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Got it. Got it. All right. Um, so so it sounds to me that um we did not get a cryptic uh season six confirmation through Apple sausages or something this week. No, no, you did. Got it. You, Got it. <laughs> you when there is a when there is data to be given it will be given of like oh my god we're doing nothing because we can't sit on that knowledge the builders need to know because they're under the biggest part of the gun to get a working robot done like that's there they in my mind builders shoulder one of the heaviest burdens which is having working robots like you can't shoot a show without movie stars so you gotta have the stars we got to have them in good condition. 
So that's what we need them to have as much time to build as possible. And it's not just to build, it's to solve their graphics. It's to get sponsors, which is the hardest part of this whole thing. I mean, most of these people are engineers in some way and can solve how bolts go together. But man, solving how to get money given to you freely is a tough thing. And that's like one of the hardest. And I want people to have as much time and also to be saying, I'm going to be on this show for the next season. Mm. This is why you want to give money to me. Yeah. You know, that's, and we want them to have that freedom to do that. Like that's the most important thing. Yeah. Yeah. Lindsay on over to you. <gasps> Lindsay. Hello. All right. So as you can imagine, you got a lot of listener questions. Oh God. <laughs> so we can treat this as a speed round if you want, but because <laughs> uh, I know that we have a very special segment coming at the end of this, um, which I won't spoil now. But so uh, the first listener question is from Sumi Shik, uh, and they're curious about rematches, grudge matches, and exhibition matches. Yes. I'm sure many fans and builders would love to have one-off matches or even rematches, even if it's independent of any particular season. What would it take to make that work? Money. Money and time. I mean, it is... Taking this last season as the example, I mean, we were cramming in... I think one time we got 23 or 24 fights done in a day. That is insane. We used to only do in a session. So we'd have a morning session and an evening session. We'd do at the max nine fights. And to have that many fights was huge that we were put pumping it through. We don't have time. And like, you know, the, the camera rolling is expensive. It costs money to have people there filming robot fighting. And it costs money to have Chris and Kenny talking about robot fighting. Um, so grudge matches and fantasy matches are tough to come by if they're not serving the purpose of the show. Like the show comes first. How do we tell this tale of the tournament? That's the most important thing we need to talk about. Hopefully that answers the question. No. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the, the next question from Steven eager uh, wants to know, I love your passion for the sport. Now that you become an on-air personality and are being asked to do interviews like this, which is always a treat, um, with the experience being relatively new for you, how close have you been to accidentally spoiling something in your excitement? I recall you saying bots like Ice Wave, Bronco, and Senovayachi would be competing and not just have one-off appearance, since that was before Bounty Hunters was announced, so good save there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, um, I... That was a what we were talking on this show. That was probably the closest I got to boarding out bounty hunters. Um, but uh, thankfully, I saved it. And the good thing was the fact that they were up on the website, so everybody could sort of see that. Oh my God, these builders are there. Um, was really helpful, so that I could just sort of say, "Yeah, they're competing without saying in the tournament." You would have given us some good breaking news, though. <laughs> yes, yes, I know. But uh, Greg would have killed me. So I don't do that. <laughs> I, I like my job, guys. I really like being the butt whisperer. And I don't want Greg or Trey or Aaron or Chris Cowan or Tom Gutteridge angry at me. 
ever. <laughs> I, just, I want to do the job that makes them happy. So <laughs> good point. Good point. We want I'm you not to give away the secrets. <laughs> we definitely want you there as long as possible. So we won't try and uh, uh, get anything else out of you. But uh, Michael Clements asks, if you could borrow any of the 2020 robots to drive in a battle against any other 2020 robot, which would you pick and which would you want to drive that robot against? Oh, does, does that make sense? <laughs> yes, it does. I actually got answered, asked this very similar thing, I think, on uh, shunt posting, which was um, win, defeat, or judge's decision. And you choose, like, the bot you're going to be fighting with and then three bots that you're going to win against, lose against, and have a judge's decision against. Um, so I kind of know this, this game a bit. I think I would pick, for me, if I had to drive it myself, I think I would want either Whiplash or a working version of um, Hypershock. I think I kind of <laughs> want a giant RC car in there because I, I think that's what I probably feel a little more comfortable with. Actually, Witch Doctor would be another great one, too, because that's fairly similar to, to that. Uh, but who would I fight? I would, I, anyone. Like it just the excitement to be able just to fight anybody again with any one of those robots would just be awesome. That's a great answer. Uh, Michael also adds in a PS, please don't get them out of the arenas. They're the only knockout potential flippers and lifters really have and are still incredibly hard to do with the current uh, arena design. Uh, just so you know, I am a fan of the toaster slot of the arena. I believe that it is important to be able to put another bot into that slot and have it be an out. Like that to me is what keeps control bots and flipper bots and everything in the game. And it doesn't just end up being vertical and horizontal discs. Agreed, agreed. All right, so Dane Ironfoot has three questions. The first is which of the new robots impressed you the most slash are looking forward to seeing their improvements next season? Of the brand new bots that came this season or sort of like improved, like, you know, Tantrum was super improved, became a, just a solid brick, but we've seen Tantrum before, but of brand new bots, I mean, obviously it's going to be jackpot, right? To show up and to be hitting as hard as they were hitting was pretty impressive. That was, I think, like if we were to have a rookie of the year real trophy that wasn't just to say thank you to Dave, uh, I think jackpot would have gotten it for just proving like, look, we can come up here and hit just as hard as anybody else. So. And imagine what he could do with a doubled glitter budget. Oh my God. There was glitter everywhere in that arena. <laughs> Usually it's just aluminum shavings, but now it was this plastic stuff that sticks to everything. So if you touch anything, like the glitter just gloms onto you. But you know, <laughs> glitter for the win. Yeah, lasting prize. Uh, his next question is, what would it take to see you return to the battle box? Uh, so much money that I can completely com quit my day job, but have the shop that I have at the day job. <laughs> 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 that would be a lot of money. Um, you know, I sort of feel that I've done that phase in my life. And as you guys can see in the video, which, sorry, people only listening, Behind me is Lego. Everywhere surrounding me is Lego. That is where I've transitioned to. Of I used to build robots. Now I build Lego. 
I still love robot fighting, obviously, as you can tell by how nerdy I get on camera. Um, but I don't really feel the drive creatively to build combat robots anymore. So I know, sorry. Uh, some people think that's a loss, but that's just sort of where I am in my life. That, that's totally fair. <laughs> uh, and Dane's last question is pretty controversial. Uh, are you looking forward to the inevitable day when Technical T-Rex and you are both the bot whisperers? Oh, that'll be fabulous. Technical <laughs> T-Rex is so much smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> Technical T-Rex puts stuff up. I look at that board and I go, holy crap, if I could have only said that during the match like that's what i wanted because i love what they do they've done such a good job of breaking down the physics the the mechanics the sort of why a motor over that motor i ah it's been great i really love technical t-rex even can, though he's got little teeny arms i can only imagine someone being in an inflatable t-rex costume for an 18-hour production day <laughs> That's almost like having to be in Long Beach with 90 to 95 degree days, all of the bay doors open because of COVID and me having to wear a bomber jacket the whole time. So yes, <laughs> I know what technical T-Rex is going through. <laughs> it was um, hot on that stage, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it looked, it looked like some of the competitors were getting a little toasty. So I can only imagine. So Matthew Cahoy asks, what was your favorite fight this season? Oh, that's without a doubt. Rotator Valkyrie was Ooh. so spark wheelies for days. I was just in heaven watching that fight. I am, I get so giddy when Valkyrie is tipped up on end and the bottom of the disc is scraping the floor and just spraying sparks everywhere. And it holds that position due to the gyroscopic action of the disc. And it, it is such a joy to watch happen. That, that to me was one of my favorite fights of the whole season. There were some yeah. other great ones all around, but that one really, I really enjoyed. That was, I mean, it really just showcased what both bots could do. And yeah. it made Valkyrie just look so, like, it was just the best showcase for Val Valkyrie that I think there has been in all, all of the seasons. Yes. I mean, it caused huge damage. And uh, it was just such a shower of sparks everywhere. Bright orange spraying. It was great. You don't need glitter for a fight like that. You've just got <laughs> metal shavings. <laughs> uh, Matthew's next question is, do you think there's any chance that fans will be allowed to come to the tapings this year? Thank you and congratulations on putting together a tremendous season. Well, wear your mask. Get vaccinated. Socially distance. Let's reduce COVID and we can have fans again. That's the key is we just want to be safe. We don't want to go into this and be a super spreader event. That is just unacceptable for BattleBots as, a, as an entity to have happen. So to have the safest way we can do it, that's what matters to us. So please, everybody do their part and maybe we'll get through COVID. And by the time we're through it, we can have an event where we can have fans again. We all want fans 
every like the builders miss fans. Everybody misses the energy that fans create. Words of wisdom. Um, do you think that there, so this is, I'm throwing in this question, going rogue, um, but do you think that there is any room for when the fans return to kind of do like a hybrid of the opera boxes for builders and the audience? Because it was really cool to have, to see that the builders watch the fights too. Uh, maybe. Um, so one of the things that fans and selling tickets helps the budget big time. Like it really, that was a big loss for BattleBots' production was to not have ticket sales. Uh, you know, it was like, okay, where are we going to find this extra money? And it was, we basically had to per, cram more fights in less time to be able to get more money out of the way, a, you know, the show works is Discovery pays for X number of hours of fights of, of show. And the more we can put in there, the better it is for us budgetarily. So the loss of the fans was, was huge in a budget thing. Um, as well as like just the enthusiasm for the builders being able to go out and meet fans out in front. And, you know, there was lots of things that, we're sad because they weren't there and we must have them back. So. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, all right. So Graham Grizz Glover, the third asks if Ronan was, yes, the third, <laughs> not the second, if Ronan was able to come back for a bounty hunters episode, who would be the most wanted and least wanted robot you would want to fight? Oh man. I mean, Ronan is so, ill-prepared for the bots that exist today like i <laughs> i it's funny because so many people have asked me like would you bring ronan back or would you what would you do to make it viable i i just don't think ronan is viable like it's not in it has the niche has evolved beyond ronan let's put it that way the environment has changed enough and the other Robots have all adapted to this environment, and Ronan decided to be the dodo bird and stay behind. So, <laughs> uh, it isn't really, I don't see it as being ever competitive level worthy. Like, I just, it would take so much work to try to make it into something that could fight against robots these days. But I think what I would fear fighting the most is any of the major hitters, I mean, a, a gigabyte, a tombstone, an uppercut, a Valkyrie, like a rotator, these would all just destroy Ronin in pieces. Um, you know, I mean, what what could I go up against? I, I don't know. I mean, Ronin, I always joke with Al Kindle that what we're going to do is we're going to have Ronin and Blacksmith as a tag team. That's that would make it fun. That would be awesome. All right. Uh, Chris Horry asks, Slamo Captain Craig Danby dropped Slamo from, I think, a truck or something along those lines. And Chomp had their spinner bunker. Uh, what are the best, but also the safest ways to test a bot? Um, you know, it's uh, going back to my history in uh, doing animatronics for film. 
uh, worked for Rick Baker. And Rick Baker said, if your mechanism for this puppet cannot survive falling off your workbench, it doesn't deserve to go to set. So you need to be able to not be delicate with your bot. You have to go throw it off of the end of a loading dock or back of a truck um, and feel comfortable that, because it's going to receive far worse when it gets thrown by Hydra or if it gets hit by Tombstone. I mean, you, you have to accept that you may have to go into that box with a bucket to pick up all the parts of your bot. Like that could happen at any moment. Um, so build for that, which means you got to make it durable. You got to be able to push it off. I think the fact that Craig did the testing he did by, you know, first off of small things, figured out what broke, then re-engineered and then fixed it again. And then off of higher heights to make sure it can survive because these are throwing it off the end of a loading dock is nothing compared to what happens in the battle box. Like that is the best thing you can do without having a box to do it in. You can go push it off a loading dock. All right, Pete, I'm going to, I'm going to close out some of these, uh, these listener questions and then we'll, we'll get into a, a super fun, a special segment. Super uh, fun. Okay. All right. So I have a question from Shuntcast co-host Dale Bruce, who wants to know when will Vulcan Death Grips album be available? <laughs> uh, I don't know. We sadly did not audio record our only performance. Um, we got, you know, there was a couple of cameras and phones that videoed us, but we never got a really good sound cover of it because we Mark Satrakian did not want with all of the sequencing he was doing um, for the songs because we didn't have a drummer by the way it was all Mark producing stuff on uh, with synthesizers and and drum tracks that we pre-set up um, we didn't want to mess up the ability to still play live by having the recording of that same stuff fail in some way so there is no Vulcan Death Grip album. We would have to actually all get together, which means Greg Munson has to come down from San Francisco area and Mark's attracting and myself and Paul Rivera and Trey and Cameron all have to be in the same space for long periods of time together to be able to rehearse and perform. And by the way, I am a horrible singer, everyone. So you know, Vulcan Death Grip was my fantasy dream come true because Greg and Mark and Paul and Cameron are all competent musicians and I was not. But growing up with them, like I've always wanted to do what they did. I am a showman, but I was not a great singer. So I don't think you want to hear what I do. I think it's better to witness me perform than it is to actually hear my voice. So there you go. Well, if you ever do uh, get the band back together, <laughs> You release that album. Let me know so I can buy like an '82 Dodge Ram 250 so I can airbrush the, uh, the oh, network yes. on the side of it. Yes, that would be awesome. I don't know what our. I hadn't really thought about what our logo would be because I mean, is it the Vulcan Pinch? Right? If we're doing the Vulcan Death Grip, I, I don't know. Not sure of which exactly it was. You got to remember, we came up with the whole thing is one I do a pretty good William Shatner. <laughs> Spock, I'm losing control of my ship. Um, so I always joked of doing Shatner singing other songs. And one of the first ones I was 
working with was Hotel California on a dark desert highway. Cool wind in my hair. Warm smell of is rising <laughs> up through the air. Uh, and so the joke also became the band. Also, my birthday, 50th birthday, was the same year as Star Trek premiered. I also grew up being a big Star Trek fan as well as a Star Wars fan. So that's how it sort of came to be. I don't know if Vulcan Death Grip will, will come back. We all joke about we'd love to do it, but we'll see. <laughs> keep us keep us tuned in. Um, oh, yeah. we'll, uh, we're going to close out the interview with a set of questions from uh, Mary Catherine Carr. And... Oh, Oh, we got we got a few lined up here. I, I changed the order of some of them. Sorry, Mary, but um, her first question is: I know you wear a lot of hats, but I would really love some shoulder content for battle bots. That's just you geeking out about each battle bot. Would you be <laughs> interested in a bot whisperer show? Um, you know, I sure I would love to be able to do something. Um, you know, I I don't want to make the production myself and spend a bunch of time to do a, like, I love the fact that there are podcasts like you that do these amazing wrap-ups of the show that just happened and sort of get the builders. I, I don't know if my opinion at this point, like was worthy of a show. Come on, Mary. Like you, could be, you could be like Chris Hardwick in, in Talking Dead, the show yeah. that AMC will air after Walking Dead, uh, uh, where you can just have a couple builders on and you just nerd out over, over technology. Yeah, but you know what? You guys do that so much better than me, so I'll <laughs> leave it to you, and I'll leave it to everybody else that does a, a cast show. But yeah, I don't... I mean, if, if BattleBots wanted to do something official, sure, I will definitely do it. Um, if it was self-produced, I don't think I would do it. I just don't have time. I'm too old for this yet. It's not the Mary, years, honey. It's the mileage. Yeah. You know, Mary did go on to ask though, do you think that highly technical segments, you know, um, would have, have to always be relegated to shoulder content? Or do you think that there's a chance that BattleBots could kind of figure out that formula of, of delivering highly technical like content, but um, you know, on a, on a, on a, in like a one shot, like a lot, almost live basis. Um, we, so we did three spots, I believe that were technical spots. Now, you know, all of those things are budget dependent, time dependent. Uh, you know, it takes, it takes effort and energy to do any of these sort of technical moments, um, and edit them together. And so that's sort of a give and take. We would love to do more. We would love to be able to give deeper dives like we did with Uppercut into these bots and talk you know, more about what is really going on underneath the hood. Um, you know, like a technical T-Rex segment would be awesome. Whether they do it, I don't know. You know, we'll see. It, it, like I said, it usually ends up being all about budget and time and what you end up falling back on is it really needs to be about telling the story of the tournament arc. That is always the most important feature to the whole show. So everything else is bonus content to add to that. If we're under the gun, we're going to drop 
the bonus content and only go with the tournament. So that's that's sort of where it is. Can we get more budget? That would be great. Sure, let's Discovery throw some more money at us. We'll do some more spots. But if we can't, we can't. Mary goes on to ask, we previously heard that, you know, on, on a previous episode, we heard your vision for the future of BattleBots. But what do you think us fans can do to help make that a reality? Um, you know, what would be really cool, I think, is to change the environment at the lower weight classes, make a small arena, smaller robots that now have to do with an uneven floor, multiple levels or uh, dirt or something and start the swell of that adaptation of bots to start growing in weight classes. And that requires fans and builders to sort of do that. I think it that needs to be ground uh, grassroots because I don't think we could deviate so radically right now, we would almost have to make a secondary show that would be the BattleBots Extreme Off-Road Challenge. I don't know, something. You know. BoatBots. BoatBots. Boat there we, yes. <laughs> BattleBoats. BattleBoats. Well, actually, that's, you're talking about, that's the, uh, that's the BBC version. <laughs> well played, sir. Well played. Uh, Mary's last question and a perfect segue into uh, into our next discussion. Mary asks, if you had to take on a giant dragon in a deep dungeon, what party of battle bots would you use? Ah, oh, okay. Let's see. Um, all right, so Yeti is going to be my barbarian. He's going to be the lead sort of, I'm going to stick my chin out in the middle. He's the tank, right? He's going to go put his chin out in the middle and take the damage. Um, I think uh, Whiplash is going to be my rogue slash thief that is going to go around and do the backstabbing. Um, because he can, right? He can he, right. He can reach back with the weapon. On uh, We're going to need... Well... I, I I always need a dwarven cleric with a flaming hammer. So there's blacksmith, right? Like that is blacksmith in there as my chaos uh, cleric. Um, let's see who else is in my party. Who is my magic user? Um, well, we did joke that. Uh, Hypershock is probably my bard, right? Because <laughs> he looks damn good in whatever outfit he's wearing. Um, not sure if he's going to be the best thing with a with the sword, but he could sure stab you with a dirk once in a while. Um, uh, who else? Uh, you know, and you need like your solid heavy, like a witch doctor's got to be in there for your solid heavy hitter. Um, and probably like you'd have... Maybe you'd have like a Donald with a lockjaw because that's sort of your multi-class. He's always sort of adapting to the situation and kind of changing up what he's got going on so that that sort of can come in. Um, let's see. Did we get every sort of what we need for a party? 
Yeah, I, I almost don't want us to go too far because okay. uh, I'll tell you what we actually have coming up right now, Pete. Uh, uh, much thanks to, uh, to to Rear Granger out there for helping me uh, reach out to some builders. I reached out to some builders myself. And what we have here oh, God. is uh, a, a round robin, a, a rapid fire challenge, if you will. We have talked to builders. And some of them know D&D. Some of them uh, have at least one uh, engineer on their team that is a player. And we had them build their own characters based on their bots. Yes. So it's not necessarily your opinion of what the bot is, but what you think the team thinks that their bot is. Oh, this is great. Okay. I'm going to fail miserably, but this is awesome. Okay, go. <laughs> okay, we're gonna start with the easiest one of the of this whole challenge, and they'll just get more and more and more complicated with multi-classing and uh and and and, and interesting racial mixes. Uh, but right off the bat, we have Paul Ventimiglia's bite force. Oh, he's a uh, he's a paladin. Like that's like no he's he is just covered in plate armor. He carries a giant two-handed sword, and he is a paladin who just stands his ground and waits for his opponents to attack him because he's so confident in his hits will kill. All right, now I need to know what bite force would be in, in all of the classic D&D uh, &D races. I think bite force is just straight up human. Bite Force doesn't get, isn't going to be, uh, get a racial bonus um, that isn't from the other things. I think he's just a giant, beefed up human. And where do you think that Bite Force falls in the alignment category? Oh, Bite Force is definitely, I, I mean, I would say lawful good or not, definitely not chaotic good. I, I think he's just lawful good. Okay, so Pete, off the bat, Paul Ventimiglia's bite force is a human paladin who is lawful good. That's my that's my assumption. Yes, and that is what did Paul also say? The correct answer. <laughs> yes. Are you? Yeah. You're now you're effing me. Like no, you, that's not <laughs> Paul did not actually say that. That is <laughs> that is the correct answer. I pull it. I'm blowing out my earbuds. I'm laughing so hard. <laughs> okay. So let's just, for, for those out there that are not total uh, Dungeons and Dragons nerds, as many of us uh, here today are, let's just quick talk about what, like, what races there are in, in Dungeons and Dragons and what a class is and what an alignment is. So why don't, why, just give us, give us a little breakdown of, of your knowledge. So, you know, we have the, the classes are things like a fighter or a barbarian. That's one type of class. Or then you have a thief or a rogue. You have magic users. You have a cleric who's usually the healer of the bunch, but can also be a decent damage dealer depending upon who they worship and what they're doing. Um, paladins who are usually very uh, righteous in their attitude and their viewpoints of the world and how they see themselves. Um, uh, who else we've got? Um, 
so that, those are sort of the basic like classes and then there are races that are human elves dwarves halflings uh dragonborn which are these sort of half dragon half human uh half orcs um tieflings that are like a satyr type demon uh race um am i missing anybody that's major have i sort of get got everybody in there um there is a, a full variety of additional uh, races that you can find throughout the new books of 5e, which a few teams did take full advantage of. And I will give you a heads up when you need to kind of explore uh, the full okay. spectrum. Okay. Uh, and then there's plenty of mixed racing that give different. So let's say I'm a dwarf. I get a bonus, usually in Constitution, which is sort of my sort of like signifier of my health in a way of what uh you would when you roll your dice to see what your character's abilities are um that's what sort of a dwarf gets uh an elf tends to get in charisma which means they're usually fairly good looking and they can sort of work with people and get something to happen by personality alone in a way um humans usually don't get any bonuses uh, half orcs are super strong. So that's sort of how some of the races break down. And then there is the alignment. And the alignment is, you think of uh, an eight-pointed star in a way, and you, you have oppositions. So you would have like lawful good, neutral, and lawful evil on sort of opposite ends of the spectrum. And then you have chaos, on others and for good and evil and neutral and uh, sort of all these little shades in between that allow a character, because sometimes let's say if you're lawful good, you cannot go run into a room and start slaying monsters to your heart's content because that isn't your heart's content. As a lawful good thing, you look at them and go, oh, but maybe they're not doing anything bad. Only if they attack you or do something that you are seeing from your deity's viewpoint is against your religion, would you go maybe attack them? So, whereas if you're chaotic neutral, you can pretty much do anything. So, usually, like a good rogue or thief might be chaotic neutral and they could do things like they might pick a pocket here or there or backstab somebody, but they may also save the party. You never know. So that's sort of a quick breakdown of alignment, race, and class. I just want to say, of all the millions of combinations out there, the fact that you guessed Bite Force spot on <laughs> is really incredible and astonishing. Well, you know, you don't get to call me the bot whisperer for nothing. Um, yeah. <laughs> we yeah, are uh, we, we played our own characters respectively uh, and currently have characters. Luke even managed to join the fray of, of the Dungeons and Dragons universe for a short while. Luke was a, um, a, a human uh, beast master ranger whose mechanics yes. were built off of Luke. Why don't you go ahead and fill that one in? Uh, Pokemon. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Yeah, that's right. Nice. I like that. That's good. So 
you how many how many beasts follow you into the dungeon? Do you just have like a bunch of little cages hanging off your outfit with like, oh, I've got the ferret that I got to let go over here. And I got a canary just in case there's gas to see if there's a trap. And well, I've got my giant riding beast tiger over here that's going to slay and fight for me. Like how many beasts did you have if you were going to collect them all? And where did you store them? Uh, I, I had special cubes and I'd throw them and I'd have to say, uh, you know, <laughs> The name of the beast, and you know, I, I choose you. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that must have been a good game. I would have liked <laughs> to witness that. <laughs> that was a lot of Dr Pepper, Fritos, and, and Domino's pizza. I can imagine. So, with our, our very probably first probably session both. together, uh, Luke, uh, in the middle of an arena, a giant sand trap opened in the very center, and Luke decided that it would be the best opportunity to jump down into the bottom of the pit and start covering his body with sand. <laughs> okay. Um, it was, uh, it really, it yeah. almost killed monsters entirely. Um, um, I think I, you roll dice. Tell me if you succeed in covering yourself with sand. Okay, you do. Um, roll a safety throw now to see if you're breathing still. Okay. Great. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, I, I immediately die. <laughs> I think everyone now out there understands the mechanics, or they're all D and D fans, and uh, they're they're ready they're ready to jump right into this. The next one that I have, um, I reached out uh, to Diana Tarlson, and oh. I had her plot Scorpius. So. The next round you have, and keep in mind, these are going to increasingly get more and more difficult. Um, this was a uh, just a standard arrangement, but Scorpios. Huh. Oh, a standard arrangement? Because I was starting to think of already mixing some stuff, but um, Scorpios is it's definitely in the chaotic range for sure in alignment um possibly neutral but no they're not really evil scorpius isn't really evil of a bot so it might be chaotic good um it is well, they've got multiple weapons so like i'm part of me wants to say it's going to be a multi-class but it may not be uh it is a half elf and oh what class How about sword mage from i don't is sword mage in five or was that only in four i don't believe that is a 5e build okay um and i would i would keep it for for this for this round surface level so just core classes Oh, okay. God. This is tough because Scorpius is really adaptable. Um, so maybe maybe Scorpius is a rogue and it's an elf rogue that is chaotic good. All right. From the builders, Scorpios is chaotic good, but it is a gnome barbarian. Oh my God. Yes, of course it is. Why did I see that? Yes. Oh, he's got a big double-handed axe. Like, yes, of course it would be. Yes. Oh. Oh. Banging my head. That was horrible of me. Okay. 
All right, the next bot we have is Hypershock. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know that Will and team had almost an existential meltdown over trying to plot where their bot falls in the D&D universe. Uh, but again, this is a core race, core class, uh, let you plot Hypershock. <clears throat> I mean, it's... You know how I already feel about Hypershock. We we had our little text chat about it that I feel that he is a bard. But um, let's see. Who would they actually pick themselves to be? Uh, I think they're a magic user. Um, and they are... Let's see. They're full elf magic user because they've got some serious high charisma. Um, but they might have a little bit of neutral evil in them. Whoa. Whoa. Allows them to sort of do what they need to do when, when the time comes. Doesn't mean they always are evil. It just means that they can, you know what? We'll just go and ambush them if we need to. Fire off a few magic missiles before we open the door. That kind of thing. Now, Pete, I think that uh, on our, our, our Facebook conversation that your initial gut reaction to Hypershock might have been spot on. Are you serious? They actually went with Bard? <laughs> Hypershock has, has quoted themselves as being a half-elf Bard that is chaotic good. Oh, my God. I can't believe they actually went with Bard. Like, I wouldn't have thought that they would see themselves as the Bard. But that's what I saw them as. The loot-carrying, beautiful, nicely dressed, filigree all over their clothing. Um, and they have a cute little dirk to stab things with, you know. But, oh, my God. Uh, they also have a great design on the bottom of their boot. Of course they do. <laughs> like that's how they recall themselves back into the village is the bottom they show the bottom of the boot to the magic user and he summons them back because that's the spell. It next, also refills their their gold bags. Sorry. Next we reach out to, to Matt Burke of Kraken, uh, who I think ended up uh sampling um from uh his his own kids. Um so we have Kraken. Um Kraken. Kraken is a. Uh, I want to save the Dragonborn for somebody else if they come up, but I think he might be Dragonborn. Um, <laughs> I think. Uh, let's see. What class is he going to be? He's probably like. A basic fighter almost with, you know, like a pugilist. Like he he would almost prefer to go fisticuff than he would actually to having a weapon in hand. Um, and he is neutral good. You are in the, uh, the absolute correct sphere of thinking. Uh, Kraken is dragonborn. Kraken uh, does prevail in unarmed combat, but however, <laughs> it's a barbarian uh, and is a true neutral. 
True neutral. Yes. Okay, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I can see that. I'm I'm amazed that you that you are able to piecemeal so so much of the story <laughs> together. <laughs> I know these people. Come on. <laughs> I know these bots. So I just sort of come up with what would be a good, you know, narrative to that bot. All right, the next one I have is jackpot. Ooh, jackpot. Um, jackpot is wielding dual swords. Um, so what would they be? Uh, are we getting out of basic and into more complicated? They did list a, a multi-class. Okay. Uh, I would say that it, it 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 makes perfect sense. Everything about it makes sense. Well, um, probably then they're like a fighter magic user if they're multi-class. Because uh, they can swing a, a couple of nice swords about as well as the glitter. You know, the glitter definitely goes magic. Um, let's see. <sighs> what race? I I don't want to say I don't think they're they're not dwarven they don't to me they don't feel that way they don't feel you know halfling or hobbit kind of thing um, they're a little more robust than that so they they actually yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll probably hate this I'm gonna say they're multi class they're fighter magic user half orc by the way. <laughs> They're they're using the glitter to cover up the cover up the orcness, and they are um, they might even be chaotic evil. Whew. Again, right on you're right on the cusp of it. Uh, Jackpot is a half orc fighter magic user in a barbarian, but they are chaotic neutral. Ah, oh, okay. <laughs> Just so close every time. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually astounded. Um, the, now the last two are very difficult. One is a, uh, a, a pretty rare race. Uh, and, um, uh, we have right here, uh, hijinks. Oh, hijinks. Hmm. They're kind of like, you know, so hijinks. Oh, maybe if I go with the owl theme on hijinks they're uh they're like a druid um that is a changeling race uh that can transform themselves into the owl when need be but there's also they've they've given up the forest for living in the castle and sort of being the jester but they're not the fool of the bunch they're actually much smarter they realize that being the gesture allows them to be in the space and learn more secrets from the king. Um, but uh, they would, is there, I don't remember if there is a beast style race, like a druid race that is, can transform into pretty much anything. I don't remember if there was such a thing, um, but they are, they are chaotic good. So there is wrong on every count. <laughs> there's a there's a beast race called uh, 
uh, I think it's called uh, Aarakocra, which is like a, an eagle race. Okay. Um, and so you're you're right uh, in that wheelhouse right there. They consider themselves a barbarian. And again, much like every other barbarian that we've heard of, they're, they consider themselves chaotic good. There we go. All right, we have Nelly the Elliebot. Oh God! Oh God! Um, Nelly the Elliebot is definitely she's a hammer wielding dwarf or gnome for sure, um, and she is so sly and she's like neutral evil. She's definitely got a little touch of the evil on her. For sure. Again, we have a, a chaotic good bard, but the oh race... my god, everybody's going with bards. Oh yeah, everyone considers themselves a chaotic good bard. I love it. Oh my god. Uh, but there's the new race, uh, the the Loxodons, which is the uh, the elephant folk. Oh, I have not heard of them. Yeah, I've Some not of this read enough. Is, is brand spanking new, so I know that you're busting out a lot of cool stuff from second and third gen. Yeah, well, that's where I came from was actually from first, but yeah. The last one that I have here is Sporkinok. Oh, Sporkinok. There's Sporkinok a here. It's definitely multi-class. I mean, of course. So I mean, like, I mean, come on. It's a it's a fork and it's a spoon. It's two things in one. Um, <laughs> so it would be what multi-class is it? Um, well, it's going to actually be a triple class. It's going to be fighter, magic user, and cleric. Because one of the things that Lilith does is run the event back in Florida and helps out so much with everybody else that she's truly a cleric underneath. She's healing the party. And not everybody realizes that, but that's going on. Um, and uh, what race? I'm going to say half elf and is definitely on the um, she's not lawful good, but she's definitely on the good side, possibly chaotic good. <laughs> I think Lilith uh, would be enchanted by your words and you're absolutely right. She is part healer and she might even agree with you. Uh, but however, Lilith is uh, a bard. <laughs> chaotic good. Uh, that also happens to be a lizard folk. Oh God! So Pete, thank you so much for playing. this. Was extremely fun. Thank you. <laughs> it was a good sort of whacked out off to the side questioning. I loved it. So thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We're we're, we're looking forward to chatting with you again sometime soon, and uh, we're really looking forward to next season. Hey, anytime, guys. You know that. Like, just even if it's sort of you want to fill some. You need to fill some space. I'm here to just gab and gab and gab if you need. So whatever you want. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for Robots Around the World. Today, we're heading to Grand Rapids, Michigan, with a story that will definitely not end badly. 
The Grand Rapids Parks and Recreation Department is asking the public to vote on a new name for their turf painting robot, which is currently called the Turf Tank. The city is asking people to submit up to three family-friendly names between now and April 1st. The department will then pick their 25 favorite names and put them to a public vote in May. We'll include a link to the submission form in this week's show notes. And my two uh, suggestions, gentle suggestions, would either be apple sausage or waterproof sealant. <laughs> All right, Lindsay, do you think that we, we have the coordinating power to get a couple hundred people together? For us to all put in waterproof sealant or or apple sausage. So I know that like Stephen Colbert has organized movements like this before, and John Oliver has organized like a grand spell like this before to encourage people to name things. And I'm pretty sure that we have the same reach and power and clout as they do. So yeah, I'm pretty confident. All right, all right. So let's 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 start to plan this. All right, so apple sausage. Waterproof sealant. Uh, we we flood we flood them with with entries. They're so baffled that they they choose uh, these two as 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 part of their twenty five names, and then we really put in the pressure and get thousands of people to to name this poor robot Apple Sausage. Yeah, I mean, if a hundred people, if a hundred of us write in Apple Sausage. While it might not be their personal favorite of the like 25, top top 25, there will be so many of us that they'll simply not be able to deny us. And then that's when we put a public campaign together to pressure uh, this vote. They can't stop all of us. <laughs> I, I can't see how this is going to fail. I, I love it. I love it. Let's, uh, let's, let's put together the campaign this week. Let's give it a shot. All right. So we're all in on apple sausage. All the way in, 100%. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then, folks. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.